What up? This is Dart Adams, and this is episode 74 of Dart Against Humanity. Sunday afternoon, I was reading something on Twitter. Uh, Somebody posted a video of a teacher killing people at a faculty versus students um, game at a high school. So I began tweeting about my story of my senior year and uh, English highs faculty versus students game. Got the idea from when I went to Boston Latin. And it was something that I always wanted to do, largely because I was like one of the the popular students in school. I was one of like the, the student council, student organizers. I couldn't play basketball because I was 19 my senior year. So I actually would get an opportunity to play ball with like uh, the high school guys and the girls that year English High was ranked in the top 20 in the Boston Globe and they won the um Boston City South uh two of the girls that played on the team were friends of mine they had won the Boston City tournament back when they were freshmen they were like legendary Sue Hall and um um Sue Bert, uh, Sue Bright and Tamika Hall so I was telling the story about what happened when we were setting up our game and we had so much talent. We had so many players and we had ringers on our team. So I'm tweeting that story. And as I'm tweeting the story. I'm just so deep into the story, I don't notice what's going on on the timeline. That's why I'm telling you all this. I start getting all these texts. And I'm not responding to them because I'm trying to get this story out because it's a good story. And I think it's relevant because I RT'd the video of that uh, teacher killing it. Anyways, I'm trying to get it out. People keep texting me, texting me. And I'm like, all right, it's annoying. I'm annoying. I'm ignoring these texts until I get one from my brother. My brother texts me. And it says that, did you hear the news about Kobe Bryant? And I'm like, I'm not even going to answer that. I'm trying to get the story out. And he says that Kobe Bryant apparently died in a helicopter crash in California. Now, I automatically... Uh, don't believe anything because I say to him, if that was the case, I would have gotten like 50 alerts on my iPhone. Then I remember what happened when um, Michael Jackson passed away and Prince passed away. That's not what happened, but I'm still in denial. I'm like, no, there's no way. Then he sends me screenshots from Twitter, from all these news sources. And then that's when I'm like, wait a minute, because the first question I ask is, were his were any of his family members with him? Like, was he by himself? Like, where's the detail? Then I instantly began to worry. I worried for several reasons. 
One, a celebrity death happening on a Sunday afternoon means that these news outlets are going to rush to get the story out first. And they're not going to necessarily uh, vet stuff. They're not going to fact check. They're not going to get all their information first. And what they often might do is they might say someone's dead before talking to or verifying with the family. And in a space where everybody's rushing to report news. In the real time social media landscape, it's absolute chaos. And. I instantly begin thinking about episodes of Aaron Sorkin series, um, The Newsroom. But I also think about working with people who actually were editors or worked with sites who had to report on deaths or, or breaking news. And I've been around them. I'm in that circle. So I'm getting texts from media, uh, people in the basketball world. Uh, sports journalists, uh, journalists, regular journalists, and then like us, like people who are close to the situation. And I'm getting this cross section. I finally go through my um my uh text, and I'm realizing that through this cross section of people. All in media or sport. That nobody knows exactly what's going on. But the only thing I know for sure is that. A helicopter crashed and Kobe Bryant passed away. Who else was with him? We're not sure. Now, this is where things get really horrible because um, people begin speculating on who was in the helicopter. How many people in the helicopter? Was it six? Was it seven? Was it eight? Was it were there nine total nine total people? Including the pilot. The other problem is that Kobe Bryant is such a high profile name that they're going to focus on Kobe and not who else lost their life with him. Unless they were related to him. My instant fear is that Kobe was in a helicopter with himself, his daughter and his and the and her teammates, whether it be her AAU teammates it's a Sunday. So I'm assuming it's an AAU game or a travel game. That was going to crush me. And then the question is, who else was there? I didn't want to think that it would be family and coaches because that would that would crush me. I didn't want to think that it was the team because that would crush me. Any way you slice it, it was going to be horrible. And then to see what happened on Twitter and how it played out with these outlets making claims of who was or wasn't on the plane. Uh, Gigi 
helicopter. Gigi could have been on the helicopter. Uh, Rick Fox could have been on the helicopter. Uh, this person could have been on a helicopter. This person, this person. They're just throwing out names. And as they're saying these names, they're not reaching out to the family or someone's doing it after the fact. They're just reporting things. So they reported Rick Fox had passed away. And I'm like, no, 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 no. And it starts getting around. Rick Fox is alive. But I'm still seeing reports on Twitter and everywhere else that Rick Fox is dead. Then finally, a report comes in that says, per his daughter, Rick Fox is alive because he was talking to his family members. And then like his friends started hitting him up hysterical because they were like, yo, um, oh my God, you're alive. So this turned into an absolute mess. Then I start getting texts and people are wondering about like my take. Or, um, and, you know, possibly wanting to talk about it. The shit just happened. We don't have all the information in yet. We don't even know who else uh, possibly died in this horrific crash. We don't have the names of the people. We haven't verified anything. And I'm not 100% sure that they notified the family uh, Kobe's family first before they reported him passing and uh, they sure haven't reported anybody else so why would you you gonna report Kobe pass but don't even know who else passed with him when it could have been his own family members this whole situation uh disgusted me to my core I was I was so uh distraught I tweeted something about, yo, don't ask me to give my give a talk. Don't ask me to uh, give my thoughts on Kobe Bryant. Don't ask me uh, to be on your podcast. Don't ask me to write about this. Don't ask me shit. And then the other part was that I was really pissed off at how real-time social media and, and media outlets in general were botching this very delicate situation. Because they were just in a rush to report the news, and I'm using air quotes, without actually having anything verified, which should be a, a, a staple of reporting any kind of information. Then the other layer of it was that um, people's people grieving and trying to deal with loss. In that environment of real time social media. And then you have to deal with the fact that Kobe Bryant has a huge, fervent fan base that grew up with him, identify him as their Jordan, as their greatest of all time player. He's the player that they like, he was everything to them. My. I grew, I'm older than Kobe Bryant. So Kobe Bryant was in high school when I was in high school. But again, I should have graduated high school two years sooner than I did. So I'm older than he is by three, three going on four years. But I remember when Kobe was in high school because we were in high school at the same time. 
So I don't look at Kobe Bryant that way. I look at the NBA the same way uh, people from Kobe Bryant's uh, generation or older did. Because, again, my siblings were eight and six years older than me. So Kobe was like the kid who graduated, who who went to the who went to um, the NBA. I'm 21, 22 when he's playing in his rookie year. So I don't see him the same way someone who grew up with him, you know, being the guy that they looked up to. I had the NBA of the, of the late 70s and early to mid to late 80s first. So I already knew that the discourse around um, Kobe Bryant, his passing, was going to be a no-win situation. Okay, um, I knew that people were starting to turn their feelings or their reaction or their statement about his death into a narcissistic show. And then people were starting to do tweets and social media posts about Kobe's passing. And then they would have to like edit them because they didn't have all the information in yet. And then people were being bullied into giving a statement via social media before they were ready to. Everybody grieves differently. Everybody um, processes information differently. So seeing people try to police somebody else's um, grief or tell them how to mourn or recognizing that somebody is using uh, somebody else's passing as an opportunity to promote themselves left me so cold and so disgusted that I backed away from social media for three full days because I knew that the discourse online was only going to uh, negatively affect my um, my social my, my mental health. Um, and my uh, own personal well-being, but it was going to enrage me in ways that few other things could. The regular 24-hour news cycle already pisses me off, but if you're going to add in all this extra stuff, then I wanted no part of it. I, I checked out. I don't sleep. I had to sleep. I think I slept for 12 hours. It was that bad. And when I got up, it was way worse. Because we discovered that Gigi was in the helicopter. Later on, we discover. So if Gigi's in a helicopter, I already know. That that means that Gigi's in a helicopter. That means that she was in the helicopter with teammates and coaches, possibly. And if she was in the helicopter with teammates and coaches, then possibly she was in the helicopter with either mostly teammates and a coach or 
some teammates, coaches, and family. So any way you slice it, whether it's six, seven, eight, nine people, it's horrible. And then came see you, you this people's grief online and just the the waves and the waves that I saw and just people just being down and hurt and the NBA playing that night oh wow um the Celtics played a game that they did not want to play they just were not into it at all. It was horrible. Um, got killed by the um, the Pelicans. It was it was just um, a, 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 a sad state of affairs. But then I had to think about. Knowing that you're going to go on, um, you got to deal with certain things on social media. Like Kobe has such a fervent uh, fan base and stand base that it was going to change a whole bunch of discussions. And I knew that there were going to be a bunch of discussions I wanted no part of um, talking about uh, Kobe's place in history. Uh, people uh, saying that Kobe should, Kobe's number should be retired all over the NBA. And me as an old person, I'm like, well, if you're going to do that, then they should have retired uh, Oscar Robertson's n- number all across the NBA. They should have retired uh, Bill Russell's number across the NBA. If you retire Bill Russell's number across the NBA 6, then it's a twofer because you're retiring his number and Dr. J. And Dr. J did wonders for the NBA coming out of the ABA and merging it and changing the way the game was played forever. You know, these are the type of things that happen. And then uh, Kobe should be the logo now. The logo's been Jerry West forever since that 1967-68 um, NBA preview where the NBA took his silhouette without his permission and without paying him or compensating him in any way, shape, or form, or even fully coming out and saying that that's him when everyone knows it's him because everyone's seen it. And people call Jerry West the logo. And now you're going to change it to Kobe Bryant. Like, I understand that a lot of people aren't fully up on um, NBA basketball history and stuff like that. And they don't have the um, the feel for it that older people do. But these things I understand is grief talking. But come on. And I didn't want to be in that discussion and in players of their own volition, changing their number to retire Kobe Bryant's because they don't want to wear Kobe Bryant's number, which by all means do. But then coming to other players with numbers eight or 24 and saying, hey, so you're going to change your number? You're going to change your number? Like pressuring Kimball Kimball Walker to change his number from eight to something else? No, leave them alone. Let everybody be, do what they want to do. Um, I stayed away from real-time social media and Twitter for three straight days, three days, because I didn't want any parts of what was going on from um, Sunday afternoon on. It hurt 
to see anything. I didn't want to click on anything. I didn't want to watch any tributes to Kobe and Gigi. I, it hurt me every time I see people talking about Kobe and Gigi, but not her teammates and not their family members. Uh, it killed me to see uh, Umar, Dr. Umar, uh, say that ridiculous shit about uh, it being a conspiracy. I just wanted to reach through the screen and choke him out. Um, then, of course, there was the whole thing where seeing players who grew up idolizing Kobe go through it. The thing of seeing players who played with and against Kobe Bryant struggling to discuss it and going through it. I didn't want to click on anything um, Vanessa had to say because I was not going to be able to handle it. A lot of people are watching Kobe highlights and shit like that. I can't do it. Now, my thing with Kobe is different because, again, I'm old. But I remember Kobe from high school being at Lower Merion, being one of the um, players at Adidas ABCD camp during a hyper-competitive era uh, 95, 96, um, you know, with prep players because everything opened up in 1994 with Felipe Lopez. And then after that, it was, it was over because Kevin Garnett, uh, came out into the draft out of high school. Then it was the, the floodgates had opened and you have to remember that between like 1994 and 1999, there were a plethora of like players that could play in the NBA out of high school versus now where uh, they don't want you to come out of high school, but what it and they want you to try to go to the NCAA, but the one and done thing is so weird that rather than go play in the NCAA with their ridiculous rules, shout out James Wiseman, what players are doing are going overseas to be a pro for a year first before entering the NBA draft. But um, Kobe Bryant came into the NBA uh, straight out the draft in 1996, uh, arguably one of the all-time great drafts. I remember seeing um, footage of him playing in the McDonald's All-American Game, Jordan Brand Classic, uh, video of him playing uh, in Philly in high school versus like top flight talent. So my Kobe Bryant experience was totally different. You know, it was Kobe Bryant, it was Lamar Odom, it's Kevin Garnett, it's um, Ronnie Fields. It's a whole bunch of guys. It's the Paul Pierce's, you know, who came out of um, high school in 95 and then went to Kansas. It was all the guys that came out of Boston um, in 95. The Wayne Turners, you know, uh, Randall Jackson, you know, those guys. Um, Chris Heron. So I was very aware who Kobe was was a fan of his, he gets to the NBA, he comes in wearing Adidas, I end up getting a pair of his sneakers. 
I was playing a lot of basketball at the time. I was hustling. I'll play people for money, win. And I saved some money from playing for a change because I used to just get the money and I used to just go right to, at the time in Boston, we had a place called um, City Sports. My brother tell you, I would go leave the house in the morning, go out, play some games and come home with boxes of sneakers. Or I'd come home, change, shower, change, and then I would order food. I was like, yo, what you want? Because I had one money. I didn't keep this money. Because I figured, hey, it's whatever. You know, I ain't, I wasn't, I didn't have to pay rent. So what I did was I bought um two pairs of sneakers from City Sports. I bought um the Kobe Bryant. This is the feat you wear Adidas ever. So I bought I bought the um the Antoine Walkers and the Kobe Bryants. Kobe's uh, sneaker was really narrow and had these extra laces. And on top of the laces, it had these um, straps that went across. And when I put it on, and the thing is that I was so baller that I paid in cash and I didn't try the sneakers on in the store. I didn't put them on and wear them out in the store, no. I came to the store wearing the sneakers I had on and left with those boxes and just walked straight down Mass Ave to my apartment from the city sports. It used to be um, where Berkeley College of Music's campus is. I walked down the street all the way down Mass Ave to um, three blocks to my apartment, went upstairs, and I came in the crib and I was just like, I got these. And everybody's like, what? So I put them on in the house and... The Kobe sneakers were tight. I'm talking Rod Digger, tight. My head, my brain was screaming. Those sneakers were so tight. So what I had to do was remove the laces entirely. I took um, extra, the stuff from inside the uh, sneaker boxes, both sneaker boxes. I stuffed them in each sneaker and then I stretched out the elastic I stretched out the elastic on the sneaker to make it wider to make it wider to make it wider and then finally I wore them like that I didn't wear the laces in I just wore them with the um with the elastic on and I played in those sneakers interchangeably I'd ball out I'd uh, wear I'd play two games in the Kobe's and then I would switch and I would play two games in the Antoine Walkers. They were both black. I had like the Adidas black shorts and I had the green. Uh, I had the pullover. I had the shooting shirt. I had all that. And I didn't pay for any of that with money that I got from um, any job that I had working with the state or doing mediations. That was all for money. I hustled playing basketball. So Kobe Bryant's a rookie in the NBA, uh, 96, 97. You know, he plays for the Lakers. I'm a Celtics fan. The Celtics are trash. But we have Antoine Walker. Then the next year, the Celtics draft um, Ron Mercer and uh, Chauncey Billups. Kobe's playing behind um, Eddie, jo- Eddie Jones. 
Kobe didn't start it in, uh, immediately. So he's playing behind Eddie Jones. I see him in the 1997 um, Schick rookie game, of course, where it's like he feels like it's his coming out party. You look at the roster of the of his side of the Schick rookie game, and it was him and Sharif Abdurrahim. Everybody else was on the other side with um with Allen Iverson, who were being coached by um Red Auerbach. It happened in the Gun Arena in um, Cleveland, 1997. Uh, so Red Auerbach lost his voice. When the game starts, Allen Iverson goes up to Red Owl back and says, I just want to shake your hand because Coach um, John Thompson has been telling me stories about you and Bill Russell teaching him to be the coach and the man he is today. So I just want to shake the hand of the man that taught me the game. And Red Owl back is like, wow. Now, Red Owl back's team has Allen Iverson on it, Ray Allen on it. Antoine Walker of the Celtics on it, and Marcus Camby on it. Oh, and Kerry Kittles. Loaded team. And I think like Vitaly Potapenko. Kobe's team is again him, Sharif Abdurrahim, and like Matt Maloney, and some other cats. Like, I really don't remember who's on that team. Oh, Derek Fisher. So that team is like, and Derek Fisher did really well that game too. Largely because Kobe, um, but that team was, yeah. but Kobe puts on a show. He's dunking, shooting threes, driving to the hole, and it gets to be a point where uh, in a timeout, Allen Iverson yells the rest of his team, yo, y'all got to stop, stop letting Kobe do that shit, man. Kobe just out here turning the shit into uh, his own, like, his own, like, highlight show and this and this and this and this. And Red Auerbach, I lost my voice. I lost my voice. So he's sounding like Doc Rivers. And Allen Iverson took over the whole um, the whole timeout. Then Kobe's in a slam dunk contest. You know, he is the Afro. I'm hearing stories about Kobe when I'm at, back when I was at Morgan State because I went to Morgan State with two guys from Lower Merion. And they're telling me stories about hanging out with him and being at his house, about to play Coach K and Coach K calls the crib while they're about to play Coach K because he wanted to recruit him. I was like, really? And I didn't know at the time that Kobe actually was leaning towards going to Duke. Then you think about the fact that um, Kobe Bryant was so single-minded that he wanted to study and be the best and he was obsessed with being the best. He studied guys like Bruce Lee and Michael Jordan and all the greats, Larry Bird, all the greats that played the games. Because when you're outside of a culture, you focus on it all the more. So Kobe wasn't in America when he started as a kid. He was in um, Italy. They didn't televise games unless they were really big overseas at the time. The game wasn't global like it is now. So he would get VHS tapes. I believe in care packages or his father had them because his father was um, Joe Jellybean Bryant, former um, 76er. And his uncle was also an NBA player um, or cousin. And he used to study these tapes and watch them and study them over and over again and practice and practice and practice until finally he got stateside. And then he was an outsider again. So he had to constantly prove himself. And he had to like 
study and figure out how to do this and how to be the best. And he would challenge himself and get to the point where people used to say that when Kobe was in the game and the team was up, he would let the other team come back. So he would have a challenge of trying to win the game. He would try to figure out the way to make the best pass or 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 um score in a situation that seemed like he couldn't do it. How to get to the hole in a certain situation in one dribble, how to how to go to full court in a fast break with no dribbles, just passes. He created these scenarios in his head. That might never happen just in case they do. So he was prepared for it. He asked questions. He played against pros in high school. He would go uh, to the 76ers practices as a high schooler and play these guys and scrimmage these guys. He learned how to drive from, I think, um, Sharon Wright, who let him uh, drive his car in the parking lot or something like that. So everybody knew Kobe was coming. It wasn't a secret. If you knew anything about basketball, you knew Kobe Bryant was coming. And I was a fan, as much of a fan as I could be for somebody who's a Celtic fan. And then there came a time where Kobe Bryant came straight in the crosshairs of the Boston Celtics. And that's when everything changed for me. Kobe Bryant was no longer somebody that I rooted for. He was the enemy. Uh, he stopped fucking with Adidas and he switched over to Nike. Starting in the 2002 playoffs, the Boston Celtics and Lakers were on a collision course. I believe the previous season is when uh, Shaquille O'Neal gives uh, Paul Pierce the nickname The Truth after a game he played versus the Lakers. In the 2001-2002 NBA season, the Boston Celtics sweep the season series versus the Lakers. The Lakers have 8-34. Kobe Bryant and Shaquille O'Neal. The Boston Celtics have 8-34. Antoine Walker and Paul Pierce. The Boston Celtics were up 2-1 in the Eastern Conference Finals after... Finishing a 26-point comeback to win a game at home. And what was, at the time, the biggest playoff comeback in NBA history. It's since been eclipsed. I thought that the Celtics and the Lakers were going to face off in the 2002 uh, NBA Finals. That didn't happen because the Celtics uh, ran out of turbo. And... Everything they did played right into the hands of um, the New Jersey Nets who had Jason Kidd. And Jason Kidd, I feel, should have won the MVP that season. But that's neither here nor there. Now, Kobe Bryant switching over to Nike and becoming a Laker and the Lakers winning the championships with Shaq and then Kobe... um, Kobe was a, easily the greatest thing or the greatest replication or the closest approximation to Michael Jordan. But Kobe Bryant's fandom and how beloved he was flew counter 
to the Boston Celtics, especially when they were down. So there was at no point where it was going to be, and the way Kobe played the game ran counter to the um, the culture and the philosophies of Boston Celtics basketball, if that makes sense. And also, the Celtics and Lakers were in direct, um, were at war. It was both a real war and it was a um, philosophical war because the, the, the Lakers with Phil Jackson ran the triangle, which spits in the face of what Boston Celtics basketball is. Boston Celtics basketball is you can have whatever kind of lineup, whatever players, and have them play together and do this. The triangle only works if you have certain kind of players and a certain kind of mindset. And, of course, what Phil Jackson did flew in the face of what uh, Red Auerbach did. So there were all these, there were these levels not even just Lakers versus Celtics. There were all these other layers to the Kobe Bryant um, thing. They didn't allow for us to um, really be, be me to really be fans of a fan of his. And then it became just flat out resentment. Even though I respected how great he was of a player. But he was on the other side. So. Y'all ride for Kobe Bryant. Paul Pierce is my guy because I know y'all hate Paul Pierce, but Paul Pierce represents everything about this city and Kobe is going to get killed by Paul. And on a national stage in 2008, in six games, Paul Pierce murdered Kobe Bryant and it was a beautiful sight to behold, just like when game three happened in 1986 in Chicago. And the Celtics beat uh, the Bulls 122 to 104. And Dennis Johnson held Michael Jordan to 19 points. And he fouled out of the game after scoring 49 and 63 in the two previous games. But that didn't take away from Kobe Bryant's greatness. And, you know, Kobe... Willing himself to play those final seasons after his injury. That was just something that, you know, was astonishing to see. But again, you have to focus on what the Celtics were doing. And but again, Kobe Bryant's last game, like who plays a final game like that? Who goes out like that? And then the thing is that after Kobe left, there are a lot of players that when they leave, They can't replicate any of the things that they did on the court or translate that into another uh, into another uh, facet of their um, post career uh, of their post NBA career uh, endeavors. Kobe Bryant was the polar opposite. He was always thinking about the next thing Uh, when he created detail. It made a lot of sense. He was obsessed with the game to the point he studied it and he studied the art and the craft. And um, something that people don't really understand is that his role in advocating for girls and women's sports, especially basketball, um, it surprised a lot of people. Not so much me, because when you love and respect and honor 
the game of basketball, that means you study the craft inside and out. And that includes watching women's basketball. Um, I don't know anybody who really, really knows the game inside and out and loves the game inside and out that I can't have a thorough conversation about that includes girls or women's basketball, high school, um, international, professional. Um, myself and Bajan Bain, uh, when we did our uh, Boston Legends podcast, we were talking about point guards, which is a huge sticking point in Boston. And we weren't naming off point, running off names of point guards. We didn't, we didn't pick just men. I learned more about like the point guard position by, you know, watching games in the eighties and watching people like, you know, Don Staley, Ruthie Bolton, Teresa Weatherspoon, um, just, you know, run off the names, but We were talking about Jennifer Az and um, Brian Stefferson, and before her, uh, Jamila Weidman, who both played six years in high school. But Sue Bird. But the point I'm making is that when Kobe Bryant made his statements, his recent statements before he passed about um. He gave names of women that could play in the NBA and a bunch of guys on Twitter were like, he's bugging, he's bugging, he's bugging. I'm like, I need to remind you that there are 450 men that play in the NBA for a whole variety of reasons. And um, I can tell you for a fact that top flight elite women who play this game whether it's at the high school, D1, D2, D3, NAIA level, who play overseas, have eaten dudes who are nice up on the court. I've seen it. I've lived it. I've experienced it. Um, any D1 um, program in women's basketball worth any amount of salt regularly eats dudes alive. And I'm not just talking about bums off the street. I'm talking about guys that can play D1 that are walk-ons that are nice. These women kill these dudes. And I was like, you are aware that like since the 80s that like women who are elite in basketball play guys? That's how they get good. You think Diana Taurasi hasn't destroyed men before in her life? And then I wrote this tweet that said that... um. If you think that when Cynthia Cooper introduced North America to the Euro step, and she did, playing in the WNBA, that she got that nice from playing overseas and stateside versus just women. And if you believe that, I have a bridge in Brooklyn I'd like to sell you. Grow the fuck up. So that was the last statement Kobe Bryant made. And I think I started to state, I, I, I amended the statement by saying, I'm not a Kobe fan, but. And then I agreed with his assessment. The women that he picked and he named could very definitely hang in a professional league. And anybody who actually knows basketball and loves basketball and has witnessed basketball being played at the highest level through coaches, scouts, uh, been behind the scenes, what have you, wouldn't um, doubt that.
My favorite players, among my favorite players right now is um Paige Bukers. Um I can't wait for her to come to UConn um next season. But I had this and then the thing is that his advocation for uh working with uh his his girls travel team and the academy and how he teaches the game and how he constantly teaches the game uh that video that that footage of him with Gigi sitting next to him and him talking talking her through something he saw and her saying a better shot dude that kills me every time because it reminds me of okay so in my family there's my sister, she's the oldest, and then all the rest of us are boys. Six boys. And my sister has the lone boy of the group. All the boys have daughters. So I've been an uncle my entire life, and it's always been my brother with my nieces, showing them um, kung fu movies, introducing them to Bruce Lee, uh, introducing uh, them to anime, me introducing my niece, my niece Isis to anime and, and kung fu films and uh, science fiction and manga. She read her first manga books from my, um, myself and her dad. She went through our uh, Fist of the North Star and Grey and uh, her and the, her, and my nephew, the boy, read all our comic books, watched our cartoons from Transformers to Jim to G.I. Joe and just always having them on our lap and showing them things and like having them come to us and be like that broke me because that's what he lived for. His his thing was just about, you know. I love being a father and passing on the things I love and helping her, you know, um, achieve her dream because I'm not pushing her towards this. This is something she wants. It's like the thing is that he just wanted to make it better for her to achieve her dream. And of course, she uh, Gigi wanted to uh, be a Yukon Husky. And anybody that knows anything about me or any Bostonians know that we have an affinity for UConn, largely because um, uh, the coach, the men's basketball coach, um, Coach Calhoun, used to teach, um, used to coach. He's a Boston uh, uh, metro area guy, and he used to play high school here, coached here, and then coached at uh, Northeastern with some excellent teams, which included uh, young Reggie Lewis. Then he went to UConn and turned them into a power in the Big East. But since it was hard to recruit in Boston to uh, Northeastern, BC, and BU, Boston talent was being recruited by Coach Calhoun and going to UConn. And then it happened with the women. Uh, when uh, Gino Oriema <laughs> took over at UConn, he had a pipeline to recruiting the best talent out of Massachusetts and Boston over at UConn. UConn started winning because they brought over, uh, 
you know, uh, Rebecca Lobo, you know? And then it's like, if you were the best in Massachusetts or Boston, you went to UConn. So every year around tournament time or during the Big East season or what have you, one of our teams was always UConn. Cats in Boston were wearing UConn shorts. So I've always had that affinity for UConn. So, and knowing that Kobe was going to go to Duke and we hated Duke for the longest, uh, it has kind of died down now. But since the one and done era and Coach K finally relented. But just knowing that that man passed away while he was trying to uh, help his daughter and other young girls become the best players and give them opportunities that they probably wouldn't have had otherwise. It just destroys me. Right. And it's hard to deal with. And it's hard to face. Um, on the other side, um, it's going to be tough going forward because I know that the, the discussions on social media are going to lack um, any kind of complexity or nuance. And I've been kind of falling back from Twitter lately. And this whole incident really shows me why. Because the way people are acting, like in people's mentions and on the Instagram posts, just lets me feel like, yo, I already knew it was ugly. But it's a shame that it took someone's passing to uh, show just how ugly and and sad some people are anyways i have nothing else to say i didn't expect to even go this long so uh next week is going to be the last episode of season 4 one